Good morning. It's good to see you. We start our walk through the Gospel of John today. John had walked intimately and close with Jesus for at least three years, maybe up to three and a half. He had seen and heard some amazing things that were pretty dramatic in his life and pretty powerful. And so as he writes this gospel for us, they come from an eyewitness account and someone who knew Christ very well. And in John chapter 20, John tells us why he wrote this gospel. So if you look with me there in John 20, verse 30 and 31, there are two things that John is establishing that we will start off today. And one is why we need to believe in Jesus. And secondly, why Jesus is the sovereign, eternal designer, creator of our lives in the world. And so in John 20, verse 30, John writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Let me just stop there for a moment. This is deep in John's heart. We will see this played out some today. For John, he knows this, that faith in Christ brings life. And that life is, is God's life. It's a transforming life. And so John, in the very beginning, sets forth for us, this is what I'm aiming at. In all 21 chapters that you and I have, John didn't write them as chapters. That, John just wrote this perspective here and he said this is why I'm writing is I want to destroy unbelief and I want to destroy unbelief so that it leads for people to believe in Christ and so that's what John is aiming at as a matter of fact this word believe is a big deal to John in this gospel alone in 21 chapters 98 times John writes the word believe this is a really really big perspective from him uh, throughout the gospel of John. John also admits that there was no way to tell the whole story of Jesus. Um, Just not even possible. Look at John chapter 21 and verse 25. So he admits that it was beyond his ability to write these things. And so in John 21, 25, he says, Now there were also many other things that Jesus did. And were every one of them to be written... I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That is a dramatic statement. If you want to talk about an extreme statement, that is an extreme statement. John is saying this. Let me tell you about the depth of Jesus. Let me tell you about the extent of the things Jesus said, the things that Jesus did. They are so big that the whole world could not contain the things that could be written about the significance and the perspective of Jesus. And so John, we will see today and we will see all through this, John is aiming at two great things that you and I must come to the place of. And one is believe. We must believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Secondly, we must see that Jesus is the eternal creator. There, was never, there wasn't a point in time Jesus didn't come into existence in Bethlehem. He was already alive he was pre-existent, he is self-existent, and he is co-existent with the Father, and we will talk about that here in a moment. I agree with this statement that I'm about to say, that throughout the history of the world, there have been many people who say the most significant book that has been written in the history of the world, 
Obviously, it's the Bible, but in the specifics within the Bible that probably the Gospel of John may be the most significant book. And I, I lean that direction. Um, the simplicity of the Gospel of John is a first grader can read it and understand it. The theological depth of the Gospel of John is this, is that a theologian can read it and wrestle with a lot of the stuff that is there. It is just an unbelievable book. So let me give you some background on this before we get into the text today. It was written sometime between 85 and 95 A.D. John was the youngest uh, apostle who was called in the beginning, and he also gets to be the oldest apostle. John lives a really long time. We're not for sure how old John was, but likely he was probably very young. He may have been a teenager when he was called to walk um, as a disciple, and he is, he lives, um, some believe, lived into the second century. Some people believe because some of the uh, writers in the uh, second century um, speak about John, uh, and, and it appears that John is still alive at that particular point in time, Eusebius, Tertullian. Uh, Tertullian and, and some others, Irenaeus and Polycarp, uh, indicate that he may have even been alive uh, in the first part of the second century. John is very unique in that he is likely the third pastor of the Ephesian church. If you'll remember in the gospel, in, in, in the gospel, in the book of Acts, um, Paul comes through Ephesus and Paul starts the church. We know from the writings in Timothy uh, to Timothy that Timothy becomes the pastor of this church. And we know from um, extra biblical writings from some of these Christian sources that later John becomes the pastor of the Ephesians church. Now just think about if you're a member of the Ephesian church. Paul started your church. Timothy becomes your pastor. And later the apostle John becomes your pastor. And when you look in the book of Revelation in chapter, in chapter 2, Jesus is upset and has an issue with the Ephesians church. And I think part of his issue with them is they have had great revelation, great leaders, but they've lost their heart, they've lost their love, and there's a lukewarmness that, that or not, not with them, but they had lost their first love, and they were being called back uh, to this first love. And so, so this... This church in Ephesus had, had great leaders, and so John likely wrote the book of John from Ephesus while he was pastoring there. For John, the name of Jesus is really important. Um, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark only mentions the name Jesus 13 times. Luke mentions the name of Christ 88 times. Matthew writes the name Jesus 150 times. But you come to John, John writes the name Jesus 247 times it is a big deal believing in the name of Jesus is a really big deal to him so one of the questions we want to ask is is why did John write this well being at the end of the first century uh, Jesus has been dead maybe now for um, 40 to 50 years now and the church has been established it is expanding uh, particularly strongly toward the west and it's into Europe um, it has permeated Asia Minor. But along the way, three Gospels have been around. Probably the Gospels of Mark, Matthew, and Luke were written sometime in the mid to late AD 50s. And so they've been around for 20 to 30 years or so, or maybe even a little bit longer than that. And there have been some heresies that have arisen within the church that were deeply affecting that. And so likely John was writing... Um, to establish some things after looking at what had been written and what had, what had come to be. He was writing 
to clarify some things that are really, really important toward the end of the first century. One other thing I want to point out before we begin to read the text in John chapter 1. You can go ahead and turn there now um, if you're not there yet in John 1. Is I would like to just briefly just touch on the Greek language just for a moment. I believe God has always been sovereignly in control of all things, orchestrating things to accomplish His purposes. And I believe one of those things was the Greek language. The Greek language was a phenomenal language. It still is in in regard to the depth and the descriptiveness that was there. And I believe um, uh, the New Testament was written in Greek. Uh, Most of the world at that particular point in time were still speaking Greek, and there was an understanding of that. And there is a depth to what we're going to look at in the Gospel of John that is connected to the Greek language that I think God was sovereignly in control of at the right time of things for things to be written. Um, And so we're going to see today a little bit of the Greek language and why this is important for us. So let's look look now. John chapter 1, we're going to read 1 through 5, and that will be our text for today. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. I want to read it one more time. This is a really, 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 I cannot stress enough, an important text. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So I've got five things today, and in the fifth thing, i got five things. So I don't know how many things that is I have, but that's the things that I have today to share. The first thing I want to talk about this morning is, and I want to kind of frame it and put it in perspective. John has walked with Christ for, say, 60 years now. Three years with Jesus physically, 57 years now spiritually. He knew what it was like to walk with Jesus, talk with Jesus, touch Jesus, be in a relationship on earth with Jesus as a friend, as the Messiah. He was there watching Jesus die on the cross. He was there seeing the risen Christ. He and Peter ran to the tomb on the morning of the resurrection. John looked inside. He saw this. And he was the first one to believe in the resurrection. That when John saw the empty tomb, it says, And the other disciple, which was not Peter, and it said, He believed. So he was the first one. So now we are at 60 years later. He's had this grand life of walking with Christ, all of these experiences. And now the Spirit has led John to write. So what should John write? I think this. I think for 60 years, he's been thinking about, if I ever write anything, what am I going to say? What am I going to communicate about who Christ is? And I think for 60 years, he's been thinking about it. And as the Spirit leads him, he begins to write. And the very first thing that John says, this is what I want to say after 60 years of walking with Jesus. And this is what I want to say. In the beginning 
was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And here's what John is saying. He says in, in a few verses later, And in Him was life. Life is found in Christ. And once you get life, you get light. And that light conquers darkness. Christ conquers that darkness. And so John establishes, first of all, for us this morning this. Christ is the reason for life, and He's the one who makes sense of this life. So that's the first point this morning, if you're taking notes. Christ is the reason for life, and Christ is the one who makes sense of life. And so John wastes no time in the very beginning making for him what he believes is the most clear, fullest description of who Jesus is, that you and I would understand that Christ has never had a beginning He will never have an end. Everything that has been created has been created by Him. It was created out of nothing. He did not need matter. He simply needed to speak that our God is that powerful. And so, He uses, in the Greek language, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He uses an interesting Greek word that you've heard before, and it's called the logos, or the logos, whatever, however you want to pronounce it. A number of people, different. they pronounce it a number of different ways. Well, let me tell you about this word. We've got it up on the screen. Carl, if you'll put that up here. Let me give you a, a definition of how the Greeks understood. In Greek, the, this word logos means word. It means reason or plan or design. You could also say it. And the Greeks use it to describe the, the divine reason that was in the universe and in the cosmos that gives the universe and gives life meaning and purpose to understand it. Now, let me tell you where it came from. Interestingly, in the city of Ephesus, in 560 B.C., lived a man named Heraclitus. He was a philosopher. He was a Greek. And he began to really think about life and really began to try and figure out what's the meaning to life. And he began to develop this idea of the Logos as this divine reason, this divine purpose that was behind everything. And so here's what he did. He said, if you were to go to a river and you were to stand on the shore of the river, and you were to step in the river, and then step out of the river, and then if you were to step back into the river, the next time you step back into the river, you're stepping in to not the same river. Because the water that you first stepped in has already flown down, flowed down the water, and though it looks like maybe you're stepping in, you've stepped a little bit differently. And the water that's there now is different. And so, he, so one day he began to think about this, and it led him to continue to think about this. And so here's what he eventually got to the place. He said this, The whole world and every aspect of life is in a constant state of change. Everything around, he looked around, he thought about, how do we make sense of the ebb and flow of the ocean? How do we make sense that every year it becomes fall, it becomes winter, it becomes spring, it becomes summer, and the next year it does it again? And he began to think about this, and he developed this idea, is there's someone behind all of this? And he called it the Logos, the divine reason who was ordering life and ordering the cosmos. Now watch this. He said, all of life is constantly changing. So why aren't we basket cases basically all the time? Because there's no stability. Nothing is ever the same. Why is there an order and why is there a meaning and why is there seems to be a purpose and an origin behind the universe that gives meaning to it? One of his famous 
quotes was this, is that nothing in the world moved with aimless feet. And he was, he was developing this idea is there was a divine purpose and reason behind everything, and that included life. And so not only did he develop this idea about that, but he also began to talk about this. And he began to look at different cultures and began to look in the different cultures. And the different cultures all had laws and rules that they had come to an understanding about that governed the people. And so therefore, he saw this. He saw, okay, this logos, this divine reason behind the world has, has created an order to things to where man has come to an understanding of commonality about things. And he saw that in, all the, and that in a number of different cultures, there were common things, themes and things together that kind of govern and rule the people. And so he said this, then the Logos is behind that, that there's something stamped on us and in us that gives purpose and meaning and causes us to seek that purpose and meaning. And for the Greeks, Heraclitus was this huge, huge person. The Stoics loved him. Um, if you remember when Paul uh, went into uh, Athens and he went and, and he went to Mars Hill and he, he, he reasoned with them and he talked with them. And so these, this Greek mindset was, was just really dominant at that particular point in time. So that was in 560 B.C. You come all the way to... 25 BC and there's a guy in Alexandria Egypt and his name is Philo and he's a Jew and he was well versed in Greek thought and he was well versed in Jewish thought and this is what he wrote listen to this he was a man well studied and wise in both Jewish and Greek worldviews and he affirmed that the oldest thing you could find in the world was the logos or the word the divine reason and that through it and by it, God, watch this, these are not, these are, God had made the world. God had made the world through the Logos. And then he said this, he affirmed that God steered the world by the Logos, and that man's mind was stamped with the Logos, and therefore man was a creature who had the ability to think and reason. Now watch, watch the sovereignty of God. 560 B.C., a guy named Heraclitus, who does not believe in Yahweh. He believes in Greek gods, he's an idol worshiper, he's a pagan guy, but I think God is using him to develop this idea of the Logos, this divine reason behind the universe. You come all the way to 25 BC, there's this really wise man, he's a Jewish guy, he understands Greek thought, he understands the Jewish mindset, he develops the Logos further, and sometime around 90 AD, God moves in the Apostle John. And he begins to write. And John, watch this, hijacks the word. And this is what John does. John says, hey, you Greeks, you fully embrace the idea that the Logos is the power of God that he used to create the world, that it's what he uses to bring it order from the chaos. He, it's, it, it's what he uses to allow mankind to reason and to think and to understand things. The Logos is how God uses or allows man to connect with God and John writes this and says I want to tell you that the Logos is Jesus he's Jesus so from 560 BC to 25 BC to 95 AD God used this to develop at the end of the first century to say this Christ is the reason and the purpose for life in the beginning was the word the Word was with God, and the Word 
was God or is God. And so John establishes right off, and he wants us to know this, that if you want to know about life, you want to understand what life is about, you've got to connect your life with Jesus. And again, I want to remind us, John has had 60 years to think about this. And John looks at the Greek culture, he looks at the Jewish culture, and he recognizes and he sees the most significant thing that I can establish as I begin to write about Jesus is to say this, Jesus is the divine reason, purpose, meaning, everything, creator. He's the one who, is, who gives meaning and understanding to life. And so John wants us to know that. That one of the most significant things we can understand today, that if we want to know what life is, that when we lay our head on our pillow at night and we go, man, there's a, there's a peace and a security that settles in my bones. My life is chaos, but I, I, I'm not because I'm in the hand of the Logos. I'm in the one who created the world. I am in him. I am with him. He, he, he is my God. And so in the midst of the chaos, there's a stability that comes to know this, that only Christ gives meaning and purpose to life. The second idea that John develops here, and he wants us to know is this, is not only is Christ the reason and makes sense of this life, but Christ is the living word of God. So look at verse 1 again. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So here's what John is saying, secondly, this morning. You want, to, you want to know the fullest expression of what God's like? You want to know how God speaks? You want to know how God loves? You want to know how God forgives? Then you look at Jesus. Jesus is the Word. He is the Logos. He is the, he is the one through whom everything that's been created, it was created through Him. By the way, that means this. Watch this. He did not create Himself. You cannot create yourself. He was self-existent, John is affirming here. He has always been. And so he says this, Christ is the living word of God. And again, let me just frame this for us. Of all the names of Christ that John could have started with, isn't it interesting that he starts with the word? He calls Jesus the word. And after walking with Christ for so long, he's emphasizing the importance of this great reality. What is a word after all? A word is something that we communicate that comes out of our mouth, out of our mind, and it comes out to give understanding about things. And this is what John's saying. You want to understand life, you want to understand God, you look at Jesus, He is the Word, He is the expression of God, the full expression of God. Now the Jews understood this. This was not a difficult thing for them. They affirmed Genesis 1, that we know is Genesis 1. On the first day, God spoke. Second day, God spoke. Third day, God spoke. And every time God spoke, what happened? Something that wasn't there was there all of a sudden. And so God spoke creation. God spoke creation. And then God made man, and he fashioned man out of the dirt, and he breathed into man, and he gave man, what? Life. Man did not have the ability to create life. Man didn't create himself out of the dirt. God is the one who did that. And so God is a God who creates through speaking. 
And so John wants us to know this. Listen, he said, listen, the divine reason, the divine purpose of our lives is connected to Jesus. Well, who is Jesus? Well, he's the Logos. He's the word of God. He is the expression of the thought and the mind and the words of God. And so John affirms this reality. The word reveals, watch for us today, John got to see the living word, different than us. This is how we see Jesus. And so John writing, because as he's writing to people, they weren't going to see Jesus. We're not going to see Jesus again until he comes back. And so John is saying, you want to know the Logos? You want to know him? This is where you know him. He is revealed in the scripture because not only was Jesus the living word when he was here, but he is the embodiment and the fulfillment of everything that has been written in the scripture. They're in the upper room. And Philip's been with Jesus for three years like they all have. And, and Philip, God, God loved the apostles. We're just like them. And Philip said, Jesus, if you'll just show us the Father, will you just show us the Father and that's going to be enough for us? And Jesus looks at Philip and he, and he just, I can see him just kind of shaking his head. And he says, Philip, have I been with you so long? Remember what? Listen, Philip, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. You want to know what the Father's like? Well, I'm the expression. I'm the Word of God. I'm the Word. I am His speaking. I, I am the Word. I'm the Logos. I am, I am this. And so if you've seen the Father, you have seen me. And so John is establishing Jesus is the purpose. He's the meaning of life. If you want to understand life, it's connected to Him. And we understand that, the meaning and the purpose of who He is through the Word. And allows us to know the written word, allows us to know the living word, Jesus Christ himself. The writer of Hebrews said it like this. Long ago and at many times and in various ways, God spoke to our fathers through prophets, through men. That he said, go tell the people this. But in these last days, the writer of Hebrews says, let me tell you how God spoke. He spoke through his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom, watch this, through whom, here's another evidence, through whom he created the world. Jesus is the agent of the creation of the world. Listen to verse 3, Hebrews 1. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact, exact, exact imprint of his nature. So what's God like? What's Jesus like? Well, he's the exact representation of who the Father is because they are one, distinct, yet one. And the fact that the Word of God shows us that God is the Word, that Jesus is the Word, reveals to us that God is a communicating, speaking God, wanting us to know who He is. I find it incredibly interesting that there are two encounters, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament, where Satan himself comes and he tempts people. In Genesis 3, he comes and attacks the reliability and the integrity of God's Word in the garden. Eve buys the lie, Adam buys the lie. You go all the way to Luke chapter 4 and Matthew 4 in the Gospels, Jesus is in the wilderness and he attacks Jesus, the living Word of God. 
So watch this. In the garden, he attacks the speaking of God, the integrity of God's word, and what he had established for Adam and Eve. Now in the desert, in the New Testament age, Jesus is there, and he's attacking the living word of God. This book has always been God's heart, the revelation of himself to us, and it is no wonder that Satan attacks it. Through the media, through liberalization of the church, philosophy, whatever the case is, atheism, evolution, naturalism, whatever opposes the written text, we should not be surprised that that is the reality of things. And so John, again, comes along and says, you've got to know this, the divine reason behind the universe, the divine reason for your life is Jesus. How do we know who he is then? How do we know? Well, he's the living word of God. He's revealed in the written word of God so that we know who he truly is. Now, I want to touch on some things that I think are important, and they'll be strong statements. We cannot embrace Christ. Well, let me say it this way. We cannot embrace Christ without, without also embracing the Word of God because the two are inseparable. Let me say that again. We cannot embrace Christ as the Word of God the Logos, without embracing the Word of God because you cannot separate the two. And I believe it is impossible to declare that one loves Christ as the living Word of God and yet attacks the integrity and the inerrancy of the Word because the two are inseparable. And I believe that those who question the Word of God are also questioning the Son of God because the two are are inseparable. John has had 60 years to think this through. And looking around at his culture today, um, he could have written this in 2019, could he not? Particularly those of us who live in the West in this mindset that God is not the creator and so therefore we don't have to be accountable to him. We're accountable to ourselves to do whatever we want. But if he's the sovereign creator, we have to be accountable to the one who made us. And so again, I think it's not surprising that in the Western culture today that dominates the, in some of the ed, a lot of the education system and, and, and particularly in the university system that we were not created. We have evolved and I want to say today, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in a moment, that everybody in this room today has been created by our loving, eternal God. And it's, he, he's, His presence, His glory is stamped on us. Now, we, we are born in darkness. We're born separated from Him. But I believe we've been made by Him. And so that weird thing that our hair does that drives us crazy and we don't like it and our feet are kind of the way they are and we're like, man, if I could just, if I could just be different, I just want to say to you today, you are so unique because you have been made by a sovereign, eternal God. And that unique thing your hair does that drives you crazy, God thinks it's really cool because He made it that way. And we have been made by Him. And so John is establishing at the end of the first century, here's the greatest thing that I can tell you. The purpose of life is the Logos, the divine reason, the mind of God, the Creator is Jesus. Well, who is Jesus? Well, He's the Word. 
He's the Word of God, and so He's the expression of God speaking to us. He's the last and greatest speaking of God. It's not through prophets, it's through the Son. He's the Eternal One. So you and I, we must be the kind of people who trust that God is the living Word and to walk in that great reality. And I love that John doesn't start with a genealogy like Matthew does and Luke does. John just goes, no, man, Jesus is way, not that he's establishing genealogy and that he's like, no, 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 no. He doesn't have a genealogy. He's before genealogies. And I tell you, our God is so big and he's so great and he's so awesome. Now, let me just stop here just for a moment. Just give you some insight to my childhood. I didn't become a believer until I was 17. But I used to think about God all the time. And I would lie in my bed and at 9625 Brookwood Circle in Waco, Texas. And I would lie in my bed at night. And I would try to wrap my mind around this question. Where was God before he created the world? And you know, can I tell you what will happen? You will never fall asleep finding an answer to that. So where was God? Um, so how old is God? Well, God's not old. He's forever young. God doesn't age. He's the same yesterday, today, and he'll be the same in the future. God doesn't age. He's not confined by spatial limitations like you and I, where, where, where that reality just affects us. It does not affect God. And I used to lie in bed at night, and I used to, I used to try to wrap my mind around that. And, and, and I, even as a lost person, thought, okay, uh, I can't figure this out, so... Um, this is pretty awesome, but I didn't give my life to Christ. I kind of wanted to still be in control of my life. But let me just say this. Here's what, I, here's what takes place in the West today. Because people can't answer that question, because we can't put God under a microscope, people say, because, I, because that can't be proved, therefore it's not true. And I would posture this morning that because our finite minds can't understand it, that it has to be true. And it should cause me today to say this. I can't figure that out. And so that's bigger than my mind. So therefore, God's bigger than my mind. And all I can do is bow before Him and worship. Because I can't figure Him out. See, He's not a science project. He's God. He's sovereign. He loves science. He created science. He created everything. But listen, listen. John is saying to us, he's saying, listen, here's the reality. He's the divine reason. He's the creator. He is sovereign. He's the living word of God. And to understand him is beyond your understanding. And it should cause you when you can't, you can't, you dig and you dig and you dig and you have to go, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. It doesn't mean that it's not true. I think it means it's true. It's true. And it just for me is freeing to go. I don't, I, I, don't, I, I, I don't have to figure all this out. I just know that it's beyond my imagination. It's beyond what we could collectively kind of figure out. We've been trying to, mankind has been trying to figure God out for a long time. And we haven't done so. And you know why? Because he's so much bigger than our minds. But what we do know about him, does it not just blow us away? The beauty of grace, the beauty of mercy, forgiveness, the cross that we get his righteousness and he took our unrighteousness. So here's the third thing John says here. Christ is eternal 
and he is God continually. So John 1, 1 says, he uses the phrase was. Is that a present, I'm not trying to trick you, is that a present tense word or a past tense? Past, right? You're a school teacher, past tense, okay? Now, here's the depth of the scripture. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to translate this word. Because this is in the imperfect tense in the Greek, and this is what it means. It means in the beginning was, or in the beginning God continually was. That's what it means. It, it means continual. So in the beginning, God was continual. And, and the Logos was with God continually. They were never separated. So he was in the beginning continually. Didn't have a beginning. He's always been. He was with God continually. And the word was God continually. And that's the idea John is saying here. So let me tell you, he's the purpose. He's the divine reason. He's the purpose of everything. He's the word. We know about him through the written word. He's the living word. And here's the reality about him. He has never had a beginning. He will never have an end. He, is, he, is pre, he pre-existed. That's what the first part of verse 1 says. In the beginning was the word. Continually, he is pre-existed. For anything, anything was ever created Jesus was there, therefore, by necessity, that truth just says this, He is the sovereign, eternal God. He was before anything was. And John feels this is the most critical thing that he can say because it demands from us belief to say this. Okay, the creation wasn't first. God was first. God created. Matter wasn't first. God was first. So therefore, God created all of this. Therefore, there's a divine reason for it. And that includes me, that I've been created by Him. And the purpose of my life is Him. And the way that I know Him is through the written Word because the written Word reveals that He is the living Word. And it says this, that He is forever God before anything was. And so therefore, I ought to trust Him. Not only is he pre-existent, but he is also co-existent with the Father. So the second part of verse 1 says this, and he was, and the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. There's a Greek word here called pros, and it means this, with face-to-face, in relationship with one another. So Jesus, watch this, try to wrap your mind around this. The Father, Son, and the Spirit have eternally pre-existed, never had a beginning. So when did they just try to figure out, well, when was their beginning? Well, you can't figure that out. You can't because they didn't have a beginning. They have always been, and they've always been in relationship with one another, eternally in this relationship with one another. So he was with God in relationship forever, and not only friendship and intimacy of that, but Jesus that, that second part there says he's equal with God. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this himself. Jesus affirmed this reality. Listen to John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world was created. I was with you. We were preexistent before we made, before anything was made. I was with you. And so he is equal with God. As a matter of fact, they wanted to murder Jesus in John chapter 5, because he called himself equal with God. So here's verse 1. He is preexistent. He is coexistent with the Father. And he is self-existent. That's what the third part of verse 1 means. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the word was God or is God continually. We will see as we walk through the book of John, there are these I am statements, seven of them, that say this, I am this, I have always been this, I have always been the life, I have always been I've always been the light. I have I I am I am I am I am. Remember when Moses encountered God? Okay, I'm going to go to Pharaoh. What am, what am I supposed to tell him? Well, you tell him I am. That's a word called means to be the one who exists. You go tell him that's who sent you. So John, divine reason is Jesus. Well, who is the divine reason? He's the Word of God. We understand the Word of God through the written text of God's word. He is pre-existent, co-existent, self-existent, didn't need anyone to bring him into existence. And so when Jesus took on flesh in Bethlehem, he did not cease to be God, nor did he become less than God in any kind of way when he was here. He was God in a body, God in skin, but he was holy, holy, fully God. Fourth, In case that wasn't enough, and John's like, in case you didn't get that, let me tell you in verse 2, let me write one more sentence. He was in the beginning with God. Now, he's already established that in verse 1, but he wants to make sure we don't miss it. He was in the beginning with God. So to avoid any kind of confusion, he repeats it. Listen, in case you didn't understand this, the one who's the divine reason for everything, who is the living Logos, the Word of God, he is preexistent. He is coexistent with the Father. He is self-existent. He doesn't need anybody to keep him alive. He's just alive. He's life. I want to remind you that he's pre-existent. He was there in the beginning before anything ever was. And, and I think for us, we should, we should understand this, Christians. I said this, I think, last week. I don't know why sometimes we're so surprised that the world attacks this doctrine of creationism. Satan attacks the truth because he knows that lies pull us away from God and they destroy our lives, but the truth sets us, what? Free. So what's Satan's whole aim? To attack that Christ is the creator. Not that it's, it's, it's to, to come at this idea of evolution or, or other ideas about things to attack what the Scripture has said about this. And so John just fourthly says, let me just remind you again, in case you didn't get it, he's preexistent. He was in the beginning with God. He was in the beginning with God. And then two through five, he expands and he just says this, um, Christ is the supreme revelation of God. Now, this is where I said I had five more things. Don't worry. Caroline, it's Caroline's second trip through this. Don't worry, okay? We're going to, we'll be done here in a minute. So let me just touch on two of them, and then three of them we're going to really touch on. So here is the supreme revelation of God. Look with me in two through five one more time. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So let me just just talk about this for a moment. So John now says, 
And the unfolding of 2 through 5, verse 1, is just this big, big grand statement. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so he expands. Let me, let me unpack this, John says, for you. And so he says this, I want to remind you, he was in the beginning, he is, he is the Word, he is the Word of God, he is the divine reason of God, he is the final speaking of God. What is a word after all? Word is an audible expression of a thought and an idea. So Jesus becomes that, he becomes the, the picture and the full picture for us of what God is like and how to relate to God. And I believe for the believer who wants a closer relationship with Christ, the best way to achieve a closer relationship with Christ is to know more of Him through Him. To know more of the living Word through the written Word, and you can't separate the two because they are Christ. They point to Christ. The written text points to Christ. It reveals who Christ is as well. And who better to reveal someone than themselves and particularly God to say this is what I'm like and I tell you I stand here today and amazed that I have the life that I have because of what Christ has done in me and I hope that you see that as well that we used to be separated and now we're in relationship and what an amazing reality that is, and I tell you what a controversial word he was at times when he was here. He began to teach, and his family thought he was nutso. They came to get him one day. He began to heal and perform miracles, and men thought he was a prophet sent by God. When he spoke the word of God with power, people said, we've never heard anything like this. But when he claimed equality with God, people wanted to kill him. And Jesus claimed equality with God. I see what my Father does, and I do it. And that's why they wanted to kill him in John chapter 5, because he was claiming equality with God himself. And I've seen this in my lifetime. There are so many people that are okay with, the, with Jesus in his words. They're okay with Jesus in the way he forgives. They're okay with Jesus in the way that he loves, and they're okay with that. But when he says, I'm God, and you must bow before me, then people have a real hard time with that. So, John just says, I want to remind you, he's the Word. Secondly, I've already dealt with this pretty extensively, but let me just touch on it. John says he's eternal. He was in the beginning, verse 2, with God. He was in the beginning. And I think these first verses in John, the first verses in Genesis affirm to us that we see the God's transcendence and God's eternal nature, and it just causes us to fall on our face to see the glory of who he is this is what hebrews eleven three says by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of god so that watch what is seen what is seen matter was not made of out of things that was visible so when matter came into existence it previously did not have any existence and so God spoke it and it came into an existence so matter wasn't first and then God used matter you can't put Genesis 2 in Genesis 1's place 
Genesis 1 is there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form. You can't put, and the earth was without form first, and then come to verse 2. You cannot do it. And so John, cap- capturing as well, Genesis 1-1, affirming this reality, God is eternal. And just because something this morning blows our mind doesn't mean that it is untrue. And I would contend, as I said a while ago, that because we cannot grasp something, I think gives validity and truthfulness to it. It just proves that He is great. Thirdly, John says, not only is He the Word of God, not only is He eternal, but He is the Creator. Look at verse 3. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Only, watch, God creates out of nothing. Only God can create out of nothing. I could today try to build a table. I built this table right here. But I couldn't build it without gathering stuff. Only God can create without anything. And I believe that reality demands of our lives a worship of Him. Now let me just touch on this for a moment about Him, Creator. Everybody in the room this morning undoubtedly believes something about creation. And in our culture and in our education system of our day, there's a strong affirmation that you and I evolved we weren't created. And I believe that those of us who affirm the teachings of Scripture affirm that God made all things, and that's what John is saying here. It's what the writer of Hebrews says. It's what Paul says. It's what the Jewish mindset understood from the Old Testament. And I believe for all of us, theologically thinking, we must find it of the utmost necessity to build our worldview on the written text not on what's being taught in the culture. So we build our lives on the written text. Are there some things that blow our mind when we look at and ponder upon things out there? Absolutely. But I know this about God. Life only comes from life. And we affirm life comes from life. Life does not ever come from non-life. And if you trace all the way back to the very beginning point of evolutionary thought and atheistic thought, that's what you get to, is that life came from non-life. And it's not true. Life only comes from life. We could go out, we could stay here today and walk around this property and we would see evidence of it, that life comes from life. We could go to the hospital today, life comes from life. There are babies being born in McKinney, Texas today. Life comes from life. And so John's establishing this. And again, you students that are in high school and you're getting ready to go to college, you're going to hear this, that, that life comes from non-life. And I would say to someone who believes that, then show me that. Create life from non-life and you can't do it. Life has always, we have so much more evidence on our side of things as believers that life comes from life. And so John says, he's the word, he's eternal, he's the creator, and he's life. Look what it says there in the text. Verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This word life here is the word Greek word zoe, and it means life, absolute fullness of life. That's what it means. 
Life that's real, life that's genuine, life that's active, life that's vigorous. Jesus said this, John 5, 26, For as the Father has life in Himself, so has He granted also the Son to have life in Himself. Jesus in John 5, 39, a little bit later, He says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about Me. And yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life, abundant life, a great life, full life. You won't come. And so John says, listen, real life comes from Jesus. And in him is, was life. So all of this speaking, this doing, this healing, this teaching, this proclamation of Jesus in the Scripture, all of this writing of John, John said it it was so this, so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, He's the Son of God, and He is the author of life. Now let me just make make one more point. I believe, I, I, I stake my life on this book. I'm gonna go to my grave staking my life on this book. I believe, I believe it's, I, I, I believe it's, it's, it's God's heart to us. I believe it, it helps us understand the depth and the glory of Jesus. And I believe what it says in Genesis chapter 2. That God took dirt one day. And again, dirt didn't create man. God took dirt and he fashioned it. And God went, <gasps> and he breathed into Adam's nostrils. And Genesis 2 says, and man became a living creature. I believe he's the author of life. And that means he's the author of your life and my life. And he's the divine reason of, uh, uh, of this universe. And he makes sense of this life. So therefore, if we think money is going to fulfill us, it's not. You and I live in a day and time where we get information age. Have we not seen enough famous rich people crash and burn to say that money and fame is not an answer? Have we not seen enough of that? Some of us think, okay, well, if I can just be fulfilled sexually and, and I can just do whatever I want or I can do drugs or I can just whatever the case may be, then, then I'm going to have life. No, that crashes and burns. What is fulfilling is this great reality. I and you have been made by a sovereign, pre-existent, Coexistent, self existent, loving, merciful, graceful, eternal God who came and He died and He's He stamped our lives that there's a void inside of us. Ecclesiastes three eleven, God has set eternity in our hearts, and yet man cannot fathom it. And 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 I'm with Solomon, I don't get it, I don't get it, but I know this today. I came to know Jesus at seventeen. And when I got his life that night on a Sunday night in April of 1983, light came on in my world. My relationship with my parents was this. You ever had one of those with your parents? Some of you got loving, sweet kids right now. They're going to become 14 one day. And this was my life with my parents. I sat on a pew on a Sunday night in April in Waco, Texas. And life entered me 
when I placed my faith and trust in Jesus. And a light came on. Do you know what? I've told you this before, but I just I think it highlights. Do you know what the first thing I did when I went home was? I called both my mom and dad and had them sit on the couch, and I apologized. I owned up to what I was like. See, about a month before, I was so mad at my mom, I threw an empty ice tray at her. Thank God I missed her, because I think my dad would, I would not be here today. My dad would have ended my life. And I apologized to my parents. And have I been perfect since? Of course I have. I have not. But I tell you, when I taste Jesus, it's unlike anything in the world. It's unlike anything. And so, close with this. You get life, you get light. That's what John says. And in him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness, if your translation says comprehend, it's a bad translation. It's, it's, it cannot overcome. That's the deal. Go inside a closet. Okay? Shut the door. Open the door. The light invades. Shut the door. It's dark. Open the door. Light invades. Light always wins. There's an invincibility of light. Well, does John know anything about that? Did John have any clue about that at all? Yeah. You see, when John was walking with Jesus, they were on the way to Jerusalem one day, and they were passing through Samaria, and the Samaritan, one Samaritan village did welcome Jesus and the apostles and sent them on their way. John got so mad that he said to Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven and just destroy this village? He was angry, angry. And Jesus said, no, we're not doing that. There's another time where it's, I think, the appearance is there. James and John went to their mother and said, hey, hey, mom, go ask Jesus if we can sit with him when he goes to heaven. If we can, one of us sits on his right hand and one of us gets to sit on his left hand. Because we want to be up front in heaven, right next to him. So John's mother asked Jesus this. And a little bit later, uh, the other apostles hear about it, and they're mad at James and John. (laughs) So can God change a man who wants to rain down fire on a Samaritan village and who wants to be up front in heaven, what is supposed to be about God, but he wants to be up there getting the attention? Yeah, because you know what he got called at the end of his life? Not the apostle of fire and brimstone. He's called the apostle of love. Love from Christ transformed his life. And so in the gospel of John and in the three letters that he wrote and in the book of Revelation, hundreds and hundreds of times he wrote the word love and he becomes the apostle of love. It's amazing. It's amazing. So this is what John says. He is preexistent. He's the creator. He's the word. He's life. And once you get the life, you get light. 
and the power that he has, he overcomes the darkness. Now listen to this. For a while now, darkness has been growing in the United States of America, across our nation. And this has happened not because somebody went to Topeka, Kansas and opened up a big box of darkness. And it started spreading out all over the country. I think there's darkness in the nation because the church has been hiding its light under a bowl. And I think it's time for us to stand for the doctrine of creation. That Jesus is eternal. He created it. Created it out of nothing. It's what the Bible affirms in the Old Testament. It affirms it in the New Testament. Can I fully prove it all? No. But I believe it. I know it. I know it to be the scriptural testimony. And it has radically changed my life. And it's changed yours. Isn't that amazing today? You and I have been made by God. God made us. And I, don't, I, I never can remember which service I say things in. So if I'm about to repeat myself. Forgive me. I know there's things about us that we wish were different. Wish I was taller. Wish I was whatever. Whatever it is. And I just want to remind you. My pre-existent eternal God and yours made you. And he made me. And we are unique and so therefore, we're only going to find life in Him. We're going to find life in Him and celebrate that our toes look weird to everybody else, but God made those toes. Because we're unique in the glory of who He is. Let's pray.